My name is Derek. For those of you that don't know me, um, I have attended Christ Community since our opening Sunday, September 19th of, let's see, that would be 2021 now. So, um, so thank you for being here this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book into the New Testament. Luke chapter 10. And we are going to be in verses 38 through 42. I'm going to pray and just ask God to speak through me as we spend time in God's word together, looking at the life of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word. And God, I pray that we would be captivated by your love this morning, your love for us, seen in the life of Jesus. And God, we would ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would transform our lives. God, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we wouldn't be the same, that we would be more looking like Jesus, the image of Jesus. And I pray that his light and his life would be very evident in us and through us to edify the body and to evangelize our community. And so we give you this time. We ask that you would glorify Jesus and Jesus alone. Draw us close to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled my message this morning, What's Most Important to Jesus. What's most important to Jesus? There's a lot of things that we might deem as important, but we're going to notice in the story today there's something that Jesus kind of funnels it all down and says, this is what's most important to me. And when we talk about a relationship, that's really a big deal. So if you don't mind, you don't have to, if you are willing and able to, would you just stand with me? And I'm going to read this story, and then we're going to dive in. It's Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to begin in verse 38, and we're going to read through 42. This is the story. Thank you for those of you that can stand. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. Thank you. It was a number of years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a pastor. He's got his doctorate. He's a counselor. And, and I was involved in ministry, I was working, uh, I was co-directing a Christian camp in Utah, I was a chaplain in the Angels organization, and my week was just, it was just out of control, my schedule, my calendar. And I was exhausted, and I, yet I was serving Jesus. But my attitude, I'll, I'll just say this, stunk, that's a good word for church right now, right? It stunk. And he asked me this question, my friend. He said, Derek, what is the single greatest thing that you could do for Jesus? And I was like, man, Dan, I'm doing all of this stuff for Jesus. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know. But if we could just funnel it down to one thing, what would it be? And I was like, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And he said, I think the, the single greatest thing that you can do for Jesus 
is know and love Jesus. Be in a relationship with Jesus. Draw close to Jesus. Be with Jesus. Allow Jesus to be with you. And as I began thinking about that, I began understanding that, okay, I'm serving Jesus, but you know what's so interesting about serving Jesus sometimes? Sometimes we're serving Jesus, but not, we're not being with Jesus. It's kind of interesting. And, and I know this to be true, so this isn't directed necessarily at you. It's more directed at me. I can find that when I'm not being with Jesus first, when I'm not sitting with Jesus first and then serving, it can affect my attitude. It can affect my actions. It can affect my words. And instead of unifying and edifying the body, I, in, in fact, it can go the other way. And that's what we're going to find in this story this morning. One of my favorite books, and I am going to promote it this morning. I do a lot of reading. It's a book called With by Sky Jathani. And, and this is really the premise of the book. The premise of the book is this. Jesus, his preference is that we are with him. We are with him. And oftentimes in our relationship with Christ, we will, do, we will engage in different postures. And he talks about four postures in the book. And I'm going to give them to you if you're taking notes this morning going through these postures. And I am guilty, you guys, of all four of these, by the way. Here's the first posture. It's this. Life under God. Life under God sees God in simple cause and effect terms. We obey his commands and he blesses us. Right? If I, if I obey as much as I can, then God will always bless me. Well, maybe your definition of blessing is different than my definition of blessing, but I'm going to be honest with you. The last three years of my life have been the most brutal experiences of my life, life-altering, life-changing. I've almost died twice. I've had a son lose his leg in an amputation, become a wounded warrior. I've had a daughter with cancer, uh, just thing after thing after thing. And the whole time, people, I've gone to God and I've said, God, I'm obeying you. Why aren't you blessing me? Blessing me, life under God. The second posture is life over God. God is abandoned in favor of proven formulas and controllable outcomes. It ultimately is a trust in these things rather than in God. That is life over God. The third posture is this, life from God. This is a desire for getting gifts and blessings from God. And what you're seeking is you're seeking the blessing or you're seeking the gift from God, but you're not seeking God as the blessing or as the gift. And I've been guilty of this. Sometimes people call that the prosperity gospel or consumer Christianity. And so you're not actually seeking God as the gift. He is the gift giver, but um, he's the ultimate gift. That's life from God. And then you have, finally, life for God. And I would say, for me, this is where I'm most guilty. Um, life for God is the most significant life is found in doing great things for God. And when you do great things for God, People are going to recognize that, and you're going to get accolades, and, and you're going to get admiration, and people are going to say, wow, aren't you something when you do great things for God? Now, you guys, these things aren't necessarily all wrong. I would say do great things for God. But when those things become the priority, then things can kind of go awry, and that's what we're going to see in the story this morning. Here's what I will say. We were created in his image so that we might live in relationship with him. That's why we're created, to be in relationship with God. You guys, it is kind of mind-blowing to know and un begin to understand that the God who created the entire universe, we as man, Pastor Cody has talked about the story of God many times, we as humanity walked away, we disobeyed, we walked away from God, we went into sin, which created death and, 
sickness and sadness and all this stuff. And then God pursued us ultimately through Jesus Christ. He pursued us because of his great love for us. And he wants to be in a relationship with you personally. With you personally. And so as we come to this particular story this morning, um, it's interesting in the context, Jesus has just got done talking to the disciples about the Good Samaritan. And I would encourage you to read before, uh, not right now, but the story he talks about is, is a person's on this journey, they get robbed, they get beaten up, and these religious leaders, they pass by, they don't help this guy out, and the one person who helps him out is this Good Samaritan, and Jews could not stand Samaritans. And so as the disciples, I'm sure, are listening to this story, they're probably rolling their eyes and they say, you know, thinking to themselves, of course it'd have to be a, a Samaritan. And a good one at that? Come on. And Jesus' whole point is, hey, if you want to have compassion, if you want to have the kind of love that I want to give you to give to other people, this is going to be a part of your life. And so having this story in their minds and they're talking about it, they are on their way to Martha's house. That's the context as we get into the story this morning. Point number one in your notes is this, the diversity of perspective. You're going to have Martha, you might say Martha's world, and you're going to have Mary, and Mary is definitely in Mary's world, and they are two different worlds. And Jesus is going to address this as the story unfolds. So they're on their way to Martha's house, to Mary's house. Um, Their house we know in Scripture, not in this story, is in Bethany. They had a brother named Lazarus. And I believe, I don't know this to be true, I believe this is perhaps their first visit to their house, and so I'm sure they're excited because I believe, they believe who Jesus is claiming himself to be, and that is Messiah and Savior. And so imagine someone like that coming over to your house for a meal with the disciples. Now, I don't know about you when you prepare a meal, but sometimes it can be stressful. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you have people, it can be stressful, right? I remember people uh, coming over to our house, and, and my mom is just buzzing around giving out orders And then, you know, sometimes people are freaking out. And then when everybody shows up, everybody's just like, it all went away, all the stress, right? That's kind of how it happens. Well, that's kind of what's going on right here. And pick up with me in in, uh, verse, uh, excuse me, 38. It reads this again. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. We see that Martha is the one that welcomes them at the door. Now, were the disciples with them? I'm just assuming that that to be true. Martha welcomes them in, and they are excited to have them. And once Martha welcomes them in, I'm assuming by, as we unpack this story, that she begins her work. She begins to prepare a meal. And that's what's going on with Martha. Notice with me, uh, Mary, she's the listening one. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. So if you get the story, they come in, somehow they all sit down, Jesus begins sharing and speaking, and they all probably start conversing together, and this is what I'm imagining. I don't know this. This is plausible, though, okay? It's plausible that he picks up on the story of the Good Samaritan, and they're spending time with Jesus, and they're learning what it means, and they're they're in the discussion, and what's amazing is is Mary is also there at Jesus' feet, listening and learning and being with Jesus, Now, that's important because oftentimes when people would follow their rabbis, they would sit at the feet of their rabbi and learn and listen and converse. But here's what's not normal. For a woman to be at Jesus' feet also learning among all these men. That was socially, uh, that did not happen. And it's interesting, 
Mary was so engaged and so uh, probably enamored with being in the presence of Jesus, she did not care, including what her sister thought, about her spending time with Jesus at his feet learning. She was anxious to learn about who he was and what he had planned, and so she's engaged in this conversation. Now, it could be a personality issue. I don't know. Maybe Mary was really, really outgoing, and she liked hanging out with people. Maybe Martha was more reserved, and and she liked doing things and not hanging around people. I don't know, but what we are going to notice in verse 40 is that Martha snaps. Now, I'm going to out myself. I've already outed myself this morning to one person who now knows I'm totally fallible and human. No surprises, right? I'm going to out myself right now. When I was super busy, by the way, I've raised five children. I have five children ages 21 to 26. God bless you, parents. It's, it's tough, I'm telling you. Good kids. But here's the thing. When I was working and involved in ministry and doing all the things I told you earlier that I was doing, Sometimes this is what would happen. Oh, I can't believe I'm admitting this to you, but you're my church family, you'll forgive me. I would come home, and I'll I'll pick a time. My kids are all a year apart. My oldest was four when my fifth was born. There's no twins. So I'm going to say that my kids are aging, ages four to eight. I come home after a long day. I come home, and for me, I hate it, and my wife, who's going to be listening later, she'll confirm this, I hate it when the dishes aren't done. Okay, that's just me. So I come home after a long day. I get home and I see that the dishes are not done. My first thought is, Lord, forgive me. Wife, forgive me. What a lazy wife. What has she been doing all day? That's my first thought. Now, I didn't think about the fact that she's been raising children, five kids, ages four to eight. You got school, extra activities. You got all the laundry and there was a pile of laundry all the time. A lot of things going on. But my assumption was, She was lazy. She's not working. She's not doing the dishes. So this is what I would do. This is so terrible, you guys. I would go into the kitchen. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it known that I'm not happy. But I'm not going to say a word. So I would clank the dishes, and I'd be doing the dishes like, you know, like this. Like also the noise would carry throughout the house so that my wife would know that I know how lazy she is and how disappointed. You can see that what a good husband I am, right? This is like called passive aggressive, right? So, and then she would say later on, you know, I meant to get to the dishes and this kind of thing. Sometimes it would lead to an argument. And you know what? The whole thing would implode. I would probably bet 100% of the time that did not work out well for me. And I know many of you are feeling really sorry for me right now, right? Right. Guess what? Martha and I are very similar in this way. Notice with me verse 40 this morning, the distress of professionalism, we're going to see it play out for Martha right here. It says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him, speaking of Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where you've been at a party, and it's going good, everything's kind of vibing well, and all of a sudden somebody just loses it, And all of a sudden, it's like you could hear a pin drop. Ever have those awkward moments? Now, I don't know exactly if she came right up to him and whispered this to him. But I assume they're in this room, and Martha comes up, and it's written all over her face that she's not happy. And she confronts Jesus. 
And that word distracted, you guys, in the original, it means to be pulled or dragged away. And she had been pulled and dragged away from the priority of being with Jesus to do things for Jesus. And because things weren't playing out the way that she wanted by Mary's participation and help, she all of a sudden, it was affecting uh, the way that she saw things. And so if you're taking notes this morning, what we're going to pull from verse 40 are four attitudes that we need to be aware of when we don't sit with Jesus first. Our serving should come out of the overflow of sitting with Jesus. Otherwise, our service perhaps will become soured. And that's what's going to happen right here. So this is more of a litmus test for us. When I'm serving or I'm doing something for Jesus, if any of these attitudes pop up, the question should be, okay, I need to do, take an inner reflective look right now and try to figure out where this is coming from and ask myself this question. Have I been spending some time with Jesus? Because it's interesting in Scripture, oftentimes the disciples were known for this. Hey, they have such magnificently changed lives that they must have been spending time with Jesus because of the difference. And so notice with me these four negative attitudes that I certainly have dealt with in my own life. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. She had a concerned attitude. Verse 40, she starts off by saying, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care? Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you think Jesus cares? Anybody? Yes. The answer is yes. I think Jesus cares. But her perception, her perspective was skewed because she was allowing her emotions to dictate this because she wasn't spending time with Jesus. And so she was assuming something that really wasn't the case. I find this to be true of me sometimes. The way when I'm serving sometimes, if I haven't spent adequate time with Jesus, when things don't go well, which sometimes they don't, sometimes my perspective and my perception is skewed. It's not accurate. And that's what's going on right here. She's struggling in that area. The second attitude, you might say, is a complaining attitude. She says this, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? So she begins to complain. She begins to criticize. And and if this was something that she was saying in front of the disciples and everybody else, and I can imagine me saying this in front of everybody to make a point, why? My perspective would be to try to make Mary feel guilty. It could, it's plausible. So she's saying this out loud, and she's complaining. And, and can you imagine being the disciples? I'm thinking in my mind, if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, Martha, would you be quiet now? Like, this is super awkward. Like, why do we have to be doing this right now? Is it that important? Here's the third uh, attitude, notice with me. It's comparing attitude. She says, uh, verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? She's comparing. Now, do you guys ever, I'm so bad, do you guys ever emphasize certain things? This is how it would go for me. I'm doing all the serving. I'm doing absolutely everything. And Mary, she's doing absolutely nothing. Look at what I'm doing. Look, she's being lazy. And so here's this comparing. And really, the ultimate issue for me oftentimes, it's pride. And so Jesus is listening to this. The disciples are listening to this. Think about how awkward it would be for Mary. Because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes if I'm in an emotional state, I'm, I'm sometimes not even thinking about what I'm saying. I'm just reacting. Has anybody ever been there? And then you're like, oh, I really shouldn't have said it that way. Or I shouldn't have said it at all, right? Right? Could be what's going on right here. Here's the last one. 
It's a confrontational attitude. She says this to Jesus, then tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Here's Martha, and I know this is pre-church. This is pre-Holy Spirit coming and living in us in a way where we're exercising our spiritual gifting. But you might say to a certain degree, Martha is involved using her spiritual gift. She is using a gift that God has given her. I'm sure she's good at being a hostess, and yet she's allowing these emotions to rise, and so um, she's lacking uh, self-control. She's, she's lacking what I would say is gentleness. Can you guys feel the tension? I don't know. What would you guys be thinking? Pick, pick someone. It's interesting. What is Jesus thinking at this moment? And he's going to address this in just a second. And the thing that I love about Jesus, although Martha, I believe, she was doing a good thing, but she was doing a good thing in a wrong way. Because actually, instead of being helpful, It was being hurtful. And those are good things to think through. And Jesus, he's so gentle because what we're going to find in in the next verses, 41 and 42, I believe he does rebuke her, but I think he does it lovingly. I think he does it gently. And it's a good lesson for me. If, If I'm involved in rebuke, to do it lovingly and gently, and this is exactly what Jesus does because Jesus, what he's going to proclaim here is there is something that is more important than even serving him in the way that Martha is serving him. He's going to get to it. Let me read it to you again, verses 41 and 42. We're going to find the discovery of purpose behind this whole thing. Verse 41, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Ultimately, Martha wanted Mary to come and serve. And Jesus said, you know what? If we're going to funnel it all down, what is most important to me is that you're with me. And Mary's chosen that. And I'm not going to just have her get up and start serving you. Do we want to eat? Of course, that's important. But what's more important or what's most important right now is being together. And then together, if we're all going to get up and serve and prepare a meal, let's do it together with the right attitude, with the right actions, where we're building one another up. And it's an overflow, sitting as an overflow of service so that our service is not soured, so our relationships are not soured. It's very, very important. So when we talk about spending time with Jesus, you might be asking yourself, well, what exactly does that mean? So I'm gonna tell you what it means for me. The Bible is the living word, or is the written word of God, and it points to the living word who is Jesus. And the way that I get to know who Jesus is and and understand how he thinks is I read the Bible. I spend time in God's word. I spend time in prayer, praying to God. I spend time trying to listen to what God might say through and by his Holy Spirit. And so that's what I mean. And so being in the scriptures is really an important part of that. It doesn't mean, you guys, it's a checklist of things to do. I spent time in the scriptures, check that. It's a relationship. It's a desire to be with Jesus in that way. So if you're taking notes this morning, it's, this is what it looks like, three, three things. Number one, spending time with Jesus in the scriptures gives us the wisdom we need to make proper decisions while giving us profitable direction. It's for proper decisions while giving us profitable direction. When I spend time in God's word and I'm pursuing Christ and I'm pursuing the mind of Christ, it enables me to, ha- to make proper decisions, decisions that Christ would want me to, to make. 
It gives me profitable direction because I don't know about you. I'm in my 40s, but oftentimes I'm wondering in life what direction I'm even going. I don't really necessarily need to know my direction as much as I need to know what direction does God want me to go. How can I honor him? How can I glorify him? Secondly, spending time with Jesus in the scriptures gives us godly perspective on our daily pressures. It gives us godly perspective on our daily pressures. I don't know what 2022 was like for you. It was super pressure-filled for me. And if I don't spend adequate time with Jesus, spending time with him daily, multiple times throughout the day, as those pressures increase, my perspective become, can become awfully skewed about people and about problems. And one way that Jesus can help us navigate those things is by spending time with him. And you guys, just, just giving him your, your heart, just pouring your heart out to him. I know it might sound odd because you're like, I don't see Jesus. I, I get it. But here's the thing, Jesus sees you. Jesus, he, he desires to make his presence known to you, even in the difficulty. Here's the, the third thing. Spending time with Jesus in the scriptures helps us pursue the eternal and not prefer the temporal. It helps us pursue the eternal and not prefer the temporal. That's really good when, it, when you talk about perspective, about life. Perspective about life. More than one time this year I have said, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I don't know about you guys. You're like, no, I'm, I'm loving life. That's awesome. I can't wait for life in heaven in the very presence of God. You guys, no sin, no sickness, no sadness. Can you, can you imagine? Can you even fathom living forever and ever and ever with God in the presence of Jesus? I don't know about you, but I begin to like, all of my problems begin to fade, and I'm like, yes, that's what I want. I can't wait. It's an awesome reality for those of us who are in Christ, who have a relationship with Jesus. So important as we conclude this morning, this is not to make anyone feel guilty about the way they serve. So I'm going to just drive that home right now. This is about spending time with Jesus. And as we enter into 2023, I don't know what your hood was out last, like last night, but at 12, I heard every dog bark in my neighborhood. I heard all the fireworks. I heard people going crazy. And I was praying that everybody was driving responsibly because I have a son who's a state trooper in Utah. So I was just praying, right? As we enter into 2023, this is what I want to challenge you with. I'm gonna, when I speak, I, I will give a conclusion and application. This may apply to you and it may not apply to you, but something to, to consider. We all have calendars. Some of us are good at kind of marking our calendars out for the year. This is what I want to challenge my, my church family in, in filling your calendar with. Rather than things to do, maybe the priority should be with, with people to be with, starting with Jesus. How can you fill your calendar, and maybe it's creating activities as well, but where you can be with people. And so that's how we're filling our calendar this upcoming year. But here's some things to think about. Number one, be mindful that a serving attitude can ruin fellowship with Christ and others. Just because you're serving, it means that you need to serve with the right attitude, with the right actions. And that will come out of the overflow of sitting with Jesus first. And so we need to be aware of that. Just doing the service alone 
may not be adequate. Number two, reflect on your heart attitude while serving others. And so there's those four attitudes that can crop up. If any of those things crop up in any of my relationships, I think a good question to ask myself is, am I spending time with Jesus today? Or do I need to spend time with Jesus today? Because I feel it rising in me. And here's the third one. Remember that Jesus wants to spend time with you more than anything else. If you could funnel it down, Christ wants to spend time with you. You guys, here's why that is significant. Maybe for some it really hits you that God wants to spend time with you. Maybe perhaps for others you're like, what is the big deal? Well, I'm going to end my time by giving you a story for you to consider. And let me start off by asking you this question. Is there someone in your life, past, present, someone in your life that you've never met that you've always wanted to meet? Raise your hand. How many of you have always wanted to meet a famous person? Raise your hand. Is it somebody that's famous maybe? Okay, very good. So I'm going to give you a story. When I was a chaplain in the Angels organization, my son was playing high school baseball, and his best friend had a, had a friend who played baseball with him named Heido. Heido's favorite team was the Angels. Oh, okay, good. I'm chaplain in the organization. That works well. His favorite player was a man by the name of Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, a committed believer, went to baseball chapel, and so I had some connections. I, I called up my friend Jack. He's the chaplain of the Angels and the Ducks, and I said, hey, would it be possible for us to come down and hang out and meet Albert for Heido? Heido is bilingual. He loves Spanish. Albert's bilingual. And Heido had this whole plan. When I meet Albert, man, I'm going to step up and I'm going to start speaking Spanish and we're going to connect and it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. So long story short, we're going to meet Albert. And Albert has the, the, the game that day went extra innings and so they had to catch a flight. And so unfortunately, our time was going to be cut short. So it was going to be on the way to the bus. And so we're waiting, and here comes Albert. Of course, Albert at the time was the star player of the Angels, and he was, of course, the last one to get on the bus. So we've been waiting a long time. All the Angels players are going by us. So I can't wait for Heido to meet Albert. And I can't wait for for Heido to hang out and have this conversation with him. Literally, this is what happened. We introduce Heido to Albert. We start talking. Heido does not say a word. A word. Not even... I don't know Spanish. See, I don't know. Say something, man. He said absolutely nothing. He absolutely starstruck. And so afterwards, of course, we're giving it to Heido. We're on the way to the car, and we are just ripping him a new one. We're like, Heido, you did not show up. You did not step up to the plate, no pun intended. You didn't step up to the plate when you're going to meet Albert. He goes, I I just, I didn't know what to say. Just being in his presence, I I didn't know what to say. I was tongue-tied, essentially. Here's my point. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, God with us, he is the creator of the universe. One day every knee will bow, one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all. He is the thing. And if there's anyone who's famous, it's Jesus. We can't stop talking about it. The world tries to get rid of him. They can't get rid of him. They try to get rid of the Bible. The Bible's still number one selling book in the world every single year. Everybody's pursuing the Bible. So here's the thing, you guys. This is what I want you to know. That man, that God, God who became man, he loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to grow in relationship with you. He wants his presence to be felt by you. He wants to grow in relationship with you. 
That should make us awestruck, is my point. And we should desire that. And if we don't, because sometimes I don't desire it, if I'm going to be honest with you, I ask God to help me to desire a relationship with him. So that's my prayer for my church this 2023, is that all of us individually, all of us collectively would pursue a relationship of being with Jesus. And you know what's really great? is to be with Jesus with community. When you do that together, that's really an awesome thing. I'm gonna call up the worship team. They're gonna lead us in our closing songs, but that's kind of the challenge for me, is that Jesus wants to be with me, Jesus wants to be with you, and he wants to grow in relationship with you this year. So thank you for your time. I'm gonna pray, and then I'll hand my time over to them.